Welcome to the Coaching at Henley podcast from Henley Business School. This podcast is for anyone interested in exploring the question, why coaching? Here, you'll be joining us in our conversations as we aim to spark provocative thinking, research and practice in the discipline of coaching. In the Coaching at Henley podcast, we share our thoughts, experiences and views on a vast range of topics linked to coaching and behaviour change. Each episode is split into segments where we either explore a piece of coaching-related research and the implications for practice, debate a hot topic in coaching, answer listener questions, or learn from a guest speaker. Welcome to episode one of the Coaching at Henley podcast. I'm Rebecca Jones, an Associate Professor in Coaching at Henley Business School, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Karen Foy, a lecturer in coaching. Hello. And Abudi Shabi, also a lecturer in coaching. Hello. So this episode, we have three segments. We're going to have Coaching at Henley Discusses, our spotlight on research, and also an expert interview. At the Henley Centre for Coaching, we feel that part of our purpose is to provoke thinking, to reflect and to discuss. So that's what we want to do in this segment, which is Henley Coaching Centre discusses. So we want to bring a range of views and opposing views sometimes, but just to have that safe space where we can explore them. So in this segment and in this episode today, we're thinking about why research anyway? So starting us on the conversation is Abudi Shabi, who's been a coach practitioner for a long time, and Rebecca Jones, who's a prolific researcher and author. So Abudi, what is, you know, why research anyway? Yeah, so I suppose there's nothing more provocative than asking a researcher the question, why research anyway? And I suppose to contextualise that a little bit, you know, I spent 25 years as a practitioner believing very much that coaching is an art. And so I'm curious about your take, Rebecca, on what do you think coaching can benefit or a practitioner can benefit from research? How does that help us as practitioners rather than just understanding more about coaching? Yeah, so as Karen said, I, I'm, I've been a researcher and actually I suppose I'm a researcher first and a coach second. So of course my response to why research anyway is going to be very biased because I think that we can all benefit in all walks of our life from research. But I do recognise that i probably sit on quite an extreme end of that spectrum. I mean, my desire to become a researcher, I think, stems from a desire to understand how things work and really getting under the skin and finding out the mechanisms and workings of anything, really. And human behavior is no different. I really want to understand why people do the things that they do. And I think that research helps with that. And I guess the other thing for me is, again, from research and from my psychology background, I recognize how biased we are as humans. And I uh, certainly would put myself in this camp and I realize that I'm not always a very objective, able to objectively assess situations or, or my own actions or behaviors. And I feel that research gives us that objectivity that we're perhaps not able to give ourselves. And we can learn from that as coaches to help improve our practice. 
I do understand that. And I do think that, you know, there's been a lot of, if you like, woo-woo stuff in the coaching world that hasn't been grounded in anything. And at the same time, I suppose, I think that there's something for me about the innateness of some of what coaching is about, which is that relatability. And I'm reminded of a chapter of the introduction, in fact, to Stephen Burt's book on listening, where he talks about how his children would know how he was feeling by the way that he came in and put his briefcase down. And there was no research or academic study that they'd done. They just tuned in. And I think that's where I get a little curious about, if you like, the limits of research, because there's something innate that we have as human beings. Yes, I wouldn't dispute that. But I guess my perspective is I'm not asking us to deny that innate knowledge either. And I think research can complement that and support it. And sometimes our innate knowledge is wrong. You know, if we look at things like stereotypes, they're something that we might feel are innate, but they're not necessarily accurate. And sometimes research can help us to question those. And and I suppose, you know, being completely honest, one of the things that I really disliked about coaching when I came into it was the woo-woo side. And, you know, I know I'm not alone. There are lots of people that don't feel comfortable with that. And and I guess I've seen the power of that coaching can have at helping people. And I think that in especially in the corporate context, the woo-woo aspects of coaching might switch some people off. And I suppose the re- focusing on research is my way of trying to balance that to bring the credibility to what we do as coaches. Yeah, I sort of find myself having started with one position and realising that it's not as extreme or binary as that. I can see a lot of value in what you're saying. And yet I'm still curious, I suppose, about this question about it might make coaching more credible. It might make us provide evidence for the value of what we do. But how does it improve practice? Here and now conversation that we have with our clients, is that in itself benefited by research? Or is it just that research makes it more credible? If that, I mean, if that makes sense as a question. Yeah, it does. And this is the challenge, isn't it? Because I can tell you how research helps me in my practice, but I also recognize that I'm probably in a minority of people regularly reading coaching research and then reflecting on research and thinking about how I might use the findings in my practice. And and in fact, this has always been a big motivation for me personally is to bring research to a wider audience because I do believe that it can help. But there is there's a lot of barriers. You know, it's it isn't normally very accessible for people to read research when they haven't been trained in research methods and you know, often articles are really long and not necessarily that exciting unless you're a like a research methods geek like I am. So I think it's important that we try and make research accessible. But for me, it's about helping me to prioritize a bit where I put my efforts in terms of what's going to really make a difference here. You know, every second of every day, we're faced with multiple decisions. And as coaches, definitely, we're sat with somebody in the coaching session with us and even if you're being a non-directive coach, you're still making interventions, you're asking specific questions, you're responding in a specific way. And and I suppose my reflections are, well, how do I know what's the best way to respond if there is such a thing? 
And maybe if evidence can help, research evidence can help me in those decisions, then I feel a bit more confident in what I'm doing. It's interesting. You started Abudi when you were talking about you swayed to the art of coaching. And I guess I came into coaching more from the woo-woo art side, even though my background's in psychology as well. But I feel like it's that lovely balance between art and science that really brings the magic in. And so I love the fact of I may not be reading as many research papers as Rebecca, but actually noticing all of the different approaches that people start to talk about or even, you know, journal articles or, you know, in coaching magazines and tracking it back to where the research started the thinking, I think really helps me in my practice. And uh, that lovely idea of being able to share some of the insights that we get from our reading and our delving in. But also, I really like that idea of we know where to focus our thinking about what's really going to help this person. So, for example, knowing something about a cognitive behavioral approach for me is really has really been useful to help people think about their beliefs, even though sometimes I want to believe in the magic of coaching. And I do. I suppose that for me, and this might be a wider question or thing to say than it's just about coaching but I think we can sometimes be in danger of saying that science will explain everything and it eliminates the possibility of magic and I love that quote from Jung where he says learn your theories and techniques as well as you can and then be prepared to set them aside when you meet the miracle of the living soul in front of you and I think that connects very much to what you're saying Karen about the magic of coaching I do think that of course there are methods and models which we teach at Henley for instance they've been studied and researched but there's still something about that art point or that magic point that we I don't believe we can ever explain and in some ways I hope we can never explain or science can never explain it because life without mystery for me would be a very disappointing thing. Absolutely. And it's that it's the alchemy of the mix, I think, between art and science that really helps build that magic up and, and create the gold. I'm noticing that this is something that we could talk about for so long. And it's it's interesting, just that little snippet of thought. But we need to close this up now, but probably ask people who are listening to, to let us know what are their thoughts? What's it provoked in their thinking? <music> In this next segment, we share insights from an interesting piece of research and highlight implications for practice. We're looking at a paper called Positive Psychology Intervention Coaching, an experimental application of coaching to improve the effectiveness of a gratitude intervention. And the authors of this paper were Paniotta Tron and Jolenta Burke. So this paper focuses on positive psychology interventions, and these are intentional activities that aim to boost well-being, enhance positive feelings, behaviours or cognitions. And expressing gratitude is perceived as one of the most effective positive psychology interventions, which is why this research paper applied this intervention in their experiment. So gratitude can be described as a disposition, so like a personality characteristic, or a conscious life orientation towards appreciating, selected, or even all aspects of life. And gratitude interventions come in various forms, and they can range from just counting one's blessings through to writing the things that you're grateful for, or even creating a letter of gratitude. 
So in this research, they wanted to take one gratitude intervention, which was the three good things intervention, and compare the impact of just engaging with the three good things gratitude intervention to a set of participants who uh, did the three good things intervention, but they also participated in coaching. So in this study, they took a control group of 24 individuals who did the gratitude-only activity for a week, and they compared them to an experimental group of 21 individuals in which the intervention was to carry out the gratitude activity and also had a 30-minute coaching session. So this was a really brief coaching intervention, but they wanted to see whether there was any difference in results compared to data that they collected before the coaching and gratitude started compared to after the intervention had finished. So in terms of what they found, they did find that there were some small differences between the increase in different types of well-being between the two groups. But I think one of the most interesting findings from this research was that there was a statistically significant increase in dispositional gratitude, but only for the group that received coaching despite the fact that both groups engaged in a gratitude activity. And so this suggests that coaching can help support or facilitate the growth in this dispositional gratitude, so kind of people having a, a more gratitude-oriented personality, if you like, which might mean that the client's able to see situations from a different perspective, prompted new insights for them or facilitated a deeper awareness and, and shifted their focus onto positive aspects in, in life. And I think this has an important implication for the benefits of coaching because a core principle of coaching is that it encourages accountability and for individuals to be able to use the learning from coaching on an ongoing basis for sustained behavior change. And so if we think that coaching can actually result in changes in someone's disposition, then that's going to, I would suggest, be a positive thing for long-term change. So I think that this research gives us a bit of an interesting insight into some of the effects of combining coaching with a specific intervention. And as I said, particularly interesting when we think about maybe some of the long-term impacts. And Abudi and Karen, I wanted to just ask you in the context of this finding that coaching might support long-term change, do you have any examples from your own practice of seeing long-term behavior change as a result of coaching with any of your clients? Well, I think um, I'd want to say yes, because if not, why am I bothering with coaching that we want to make sure that there is lasting and long-term change in what people do. And I don't know, I think sometimes it's about really getting people to think about and be accountable for the work they're going to do as a result of what they've done in the coaching. And that's what came up for me in this gratitude. I mean, I'd really like to know what sort of coaching, how the coaching was done in that study. But what it reminded me of was uh, something I heard Brene Brown talking about once when it was about this, you know, we can have an attitude of gratitude, but actually it's the practice of gratitude. And I think sometimes it's the, it's coaching's the, the bit about ingraining in people that they need to do something different to change behavior. And so for this study, it felt to me like it was, how do you go from an attitude of gratitude? You know, I've got an attitude that says I'm going to be healthy. I've got an attitude of 
staying fit and a membership to my gym. I don't actually go to the gym or do any exercise. And I think that's the difference, the attitude of, and actually the doing. And I think if we, certainly in my coaching, it's it's helping people. Peter Hawkins talks about if somebody rehearses something in the coaching session. So if you can rehearse or get people to think about how are they going to stay accountable and on track, then they're more likely to have ongoing change. What about you, Abude? I think gratitude's really important. It's a practice I've been doing for many years and it certainly helps me. And I really like the focus that you brought into this, Rebecca, on dispositional change. Because I do think that if coaching is going to be sustainable, it has to be about dispositional change rather than just behaviour change. I think the two are interlinked, obviously. But, you know, changing the client's way of being seems to me to be the sustainable bit rather than we're just going to do X and Y. I think the point about coaching, I get the accountability piece, but I think there's something else in there, which is that you know for many of us we live siloed lives where we just do what we do and we don't have regular touchstones to what's important to us we just perform without necessarily reflecting on performance and I think you know if you like that's a spiritual void because when people had more established spiritual practices like church or synagogue or a call to prayer in Islamic countries there were regular check-ins to going how am I actually doing in accordance with my own spiritual or you know my values and I think that coaching can be that touch point for people in the midst of their busy lives of how am I actually doing so I think that kind of correlation between having a practice like gratitude or going to the gym or whatever it is and a regular check-in point of how it's going it's beyond accountability in a sense because it's also about if you like am I aligned so to come back to your point about the nature of the coaching it, it was very simple 30 minute session using the grow model so I'm guessing in those 30 minutes they wouldn't have been able to go too deep or too far with the nature of the conversation and that probably does suggest then that it is a lot of what you both mentioned there, that it's about that accountability piece in, that we're seeing here in this study. And, and often one of the limitations with research studies like this is it doesn't really explain why there was a difference. So we could see there was a difference, but we don't really know why. So we have to kind of hypothesize and guess based on our own experience. Well, perhaps it's that discussing it with the coach really helped them keep accountable perhaps it helped them stick to the gratitude practice because you know we know that's one of the biggest barriers anyway is just even when we know something's good for us doesn't mean that we're going to do it or maybe it helped deepen that those reflections from rather than just going through the process of writing out three things that they're grateful for it really got them thinking about it at a different level perhaps but that's one of the limitations there. We we can see there's a difference. We don't really know why. So that's part of what we have to try and figure out. <laughs> and to speak to Abudi's point, it'd be, you know, we'd hope that it would be that somebody saw, they'd had their awareness evoked about something that was going to be useful for them and that started to change their emphasis or have that touch point of checking in with themselves about gratitude. I know certainly it did it for me about recognising just what I, can be grateful for. And like I say, we could have an attitude of that. But actually, coaching, I think, gives us the practice. We put it into practice. So I was going to say something about the idea that if we have that touch point, you know, partly it can help us to identify what might be the benefits of that practice. You know, if I'm practicing gratitude, I might not see the benefits until I talk to a witness about it. 
and get the feedback of the conversation and go, I'm now actually seeing that practicing gratitude or going to the gym has produced these benefits. Therefore, I'll keep it going. Whereas if I'm just doing it, I might go, yeah, so what? Gratitude hasn't really changed anything. And then the practice might decline. I mean, another interesting consideration with this paper is that it's conducted by positive psychologists who are looking at combining gratitude with coaching rather than coaches who are looking at combining coaching with gratitude. So there's a slightly different orientation there. And I suppose I just the last thing that I wanted to ask you both is what's your view on introducing intervention like suggesting they someone a client engages in gratitude practice into your coaching you know is that something that you've done before or or you wouldn't do and if so why wouldn't you do that so i suppose on some level i'm not one for introducing interventions because I think that's part of what I think of as a co-creation so that I might not suggest an intervention but having said that and having reflected on the paper and your summarizing of the paper just now Rebecca I do think that you know and this might be a controversial view that coaching is a spiritual vocation and this goes to the dispositional change it's not just about helping people improve their performance it might be about helping them appreciate their lives or find a way to make a difficult life okay many people at the moment are of course facing all kinds of difficulties economic etc so there is something about that even if i'm not suggesting an intervention my take on coaching which is that it is a spiritual practice and that it helps people to find greater peace with their lives even if it's not explicitly suggesting intervention, might be my own dispositional intervention style, if that makes sense. I think I'm pretty similar in that. And one of the areas, it's making me smile because one of the areas that I always have to be careful of in my coaching is that teaching, you know, wanting to teach people. It's not really teaching. It's more I get so excited by these ideas that I want to share them, but it can come over as if, you know, I'm the expert in it, which I, d- I never want to do. So... But I think there's something really important in, you know, I've I've thought about this in supervision and I've, you know, really explored this issue of when do we offer something that we think might be useful. And so a bit like you, if it comes up and, you know, sometimes people can be feeling quite low and this three things I think is so helpful and the evidence tells us it is so helpful for somebody to think about and might share that, not as a you must go and do this, but this might be useful to you. Because I, I'm kind of from the same school as you, Abudi, of feeling like, you know, my remit in coaching is helping people come back to themselves. And sometimes it's about coming back and just remembering who you are, what you've got, how life is. And I know I often need a reminder of that. So I would bring that in. But as a, an offering, a gift that can be refused. You know, I have to remember that with three daughters. If I give a gift, I've always got to have a gift receipt. And it's a bit like that in my coaching. Give it in, but know that somebody can take it back and change it. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives. And for the listeners, if you'd like to read the original piece of research, we'll put a link to it in our show notes for this episode. (music) 
So this is the section of our podcast where we do an expert interview, which we invite a guest speaker to come and share their expertise with us. And I'm very happy to say that in this episode, we're joined by Professor Patricia Riddell, who's a professor of applied neuroscience at the University of Reading. And she also teaches in our MSc program at Henley Business School. And she specializes in how neuroscience can be applied in the business world. She runs workshops for business schools and organizations and has written several book chapters and co-authored a book on neuroscience. So it's really a great pleasure to have you with us today, Tricia. Welcome. Thank you, Vidya. It's lovely to be here with you. So maybe we could begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in coaching. Oh, okay. So it, I'm a lifelong academic and I've I've been researching for many years and always the things that I'm interested in are how information from the lab can be applied in real life. And about maybe 15 years ago, somebody asked me about training and how what we know about neuroscience might help to make transfer out of the training lab and into the real world more likely. And that was kind of a, a moment of inspiration for me. It suddenly made me realize that there's all this applied inf or information that is not being applied in the real world. So that's what I've been doing for the last 15 or so years. And as part of that, I was invited to come and talk about neuroscience and the brain in the, the coaching program. And yeah, it's just been a real voyage of discovery, seeing all the ways that neuroscience can be applied in real life. There are so many of them. So a real fun job. Yeah, I've had a day with you, which was real fun, actually. So I can testify to that. And why do you think neuroscience is important or helpful for coaches? Do you know, the main thing for me is about the, the fact that what you're doing is you're coaching a brain. So everything that you need to do in, in terms of understanding people's behavior, helping people to understand how they might change the behavior, putting people at more choice, relies on them doing something different with their brain. So I think that if you understand how the brain works better, then you're in a much better position to make that work and make it work effectively. Great. And what do you think is the biggest insight that neuroscience has provided for the field of coaching? There are so many that picking one is quite tricky. <laughs> I think I'd start with the bedrock. And that for me is neuroplasticity and neuro being the components of the brain, plasticity being how we can change that. And when I started really looking into this, I was surprised at how plastic our brains are. I was surprised at the degree of potential we have for change. And in fact, what I've come to realize is not that our brains change when we uh, require a change, but we're constantly turning over the components of our brain in anticipation of change. That was a real kind of change in my thinking because it kind of says to me, you've got the potential for change anyway. It's happening. So if you're not using it, then you're actually denying yourself a, a whole lot of potential. So for me, that was a huge kind of change in my belief about what was possible for me and for others. And I think sharing that's a really great thing to do. And it is a really important aspect of coaching, isn't it? That idea that we can continually change and we're not fixed and that, you know, this whole idea of plasticity, I think is really important. I think, you know, self-limiting beliefs, which are the things that coaches often run against, once you understand that your brain is changing anyway, then I think it really becomes much more your responsibility to figure out why you're not changing rather than blaming it on, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not qualified enough. How do you think we can use this as practitioners, this knowledge in, in our practice? 
for me, one of the things, and I'm a qualified coach myself, and the thing that I find is that occasionally you run across somebody who doesn't believe that change is possible or that doesn't that wants to try a technique, but it's a little bit kind of dubious about whether it will work or not. And I often find that kind of stepping out of coach mode just for a minute and saying, can I tell you a little bit about how your brain works? can often just give them the the impetus, the, it, the additional motivation that they need to say, okay, well, if that's what's going on, then of course I'll try it. So I think it adds credibility and it adds an increased belief in the, in the way that change can happen. Yeah, I really like that actually, you know, because I think it speaks to that cognitive part. And if I have some information that something's possible, it might make me more receptive to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not necessary for all coaches. I mean, some of them just believe that what you're telling them is right and you don't need to ever mention anything about the brain. So it's just a tool that you can have in your toolbox. Yeah, nice. Thank you. And, you know, if you like those are the positive applications, what might be some potential pitfalls for practitioners to be aware of when using neuroscience in their work, particularly as many of us only know a little bit about it? I think that's, for me, probably one of the biggest pitfalls is that, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Sort. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is that somebody asked participants about an area in which they, you know, thought that they, were, they had some competence. And they, they mapped competence in the area against people's confidence that they were good in this area. And what you find is that, as you'd expect, people that are truly competent, who are true experts, are also confident in their expertise. And people that are learning are less confident in their expertise. But there's a kind of problem because people that only have a tiny little bit of knowledge are more confident than they should be. And I think sometimes we don't realise the depth of the subject. So I think really being aware that there is a lot to learn in neuroscience. I think being willing to go to the right sources. So when I'm looking at anything neuroscientific, I'm looking at who wrote this, what is their credentials, you know, are they the right person to be listening to? And also, are they giving me opinion or are they providing evidence? So are they backing up what they're saying? I mean, often I'll see things like, I mean, we could go into some of the myths, but, oh, I don't know, it takes 16 repetitions to cure a habit. Like, really? 16? Not 50, not 17. As soon as I see something like that, I'm suspicious. So any of these times where you see a number thrown around without anything that says where that number came from, then immediately begin to think, does this person really know what they're talking about? Or are they just using neuroscience as a, as a way of gaining credibility that is maybe not as authentic as it should be? That's really useful. There are many questions that come to mind, but we're kind of out of time. So I think you've given us some useful seeds to think about, and it's really been a pleasure. So thank you very much, Tricia. Really lovely to have you with us. Thank you, and it's been a pleasure. I hope that's been helpful for some people. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Coaching at Henley. Thank you to my co-hosts, Abudi and Karen. It was a pleasure discussing these topics with you and also to Professor Riddell for joining us as our expert interviewer. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching at Henley podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find our podcast, including other Henley business podcasts from your usual podcast provider. 
To make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe. We'd also love to hear from you. Tell us what you think about the podcast and please do send us any questions you'd like us to answer. You can email us via coachingpodcast at henley.ac.uk. Finally, you can connect with us on social media to make sure you stay up to date with any Coaching at Henley news. Find the link in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about Coaching at Henley Business School, check out our website.